Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, Bent's Evaluation, Chapter 1, Probing. Here we go. had a lot of folks over the years ask about interacting with their bench, right? How do they do that? And why don't you tell folks what their bench is, because maybe we're confusing some new listeners. Yeah, so so good, good. So what most managers do when they have an opening is they think, okay, I got to fill my opening, right? They have 10 people working for them. They have 10 slots on their team, as an example, and um, somebody leaves. And then suddenly they have to fill an opening. And there's really no thinking about having an opening when everybody's there because you're busy, right? You got 10 people, you got 10 people to manage. And so you're good. You're retaining people and that's good. There's work to be done. And because it's hard work to fill an opening, you don't think about filling the opening until you have one. Manager tools managers, though, know that the problem with that is that if your opening happens you start filling it at that time when it becomes open, it takes you 60, 90 days. And you ought to be finding people to fill future holes on your team now. And we call the colleagues, the associates, potentially the friends who are high performers or or good performers that you could see yourself working with in some fashion in the future. We call those people your bench. People who are ready to fill an opening for you that comes up. If you have to fill an opening when you lose someone, it's inherently a bad process. And we hope openings are rare. We hope you keep people and and they don't leave, but they're going to, right? You're going to get them promoted if nothing else, which is a good thing. But it's not just that we see it coming. That's the first thing. The second thing is you have somebody ready to fill it. Someone basically that you've already interviewed, even though, One of the questions we get from everybody is, okay, how do I interview my friends without really making them think I'm weird? Right, right. Um, So this is just a matter of doing a search before you have an opening. It's a soft search, admittedly. It's not a a full, let's go find a, a person and get ready to make them an offer and then say, okay, we don't have an opening. You'll just have to wait. That doesn't make any sense. But you can do all kinds of things beforehand. And this is just the first chapter of the process of... For those people whom your colleagues or associates, whom you know, who you think might be good, learning more about them. I think as we said sometime, you know, how to interview your colleagues on your bench without really actually interviewing them. And here's part of what to do in that regard. There are three, three recommendations here. You've got to realize that with your bench, you never want to have a completely, totally casual conversation that doesn't have any value in terms of you learning about them. You don't. I mean, other than seeing them in the hallway and saying, hey, how's it going? You've got to add value to every conversation you're having with them. The second thing is, I mean, this sounds simplistic, but we're going to give you detailed examples. Ask about what's going on at work and then really listen. And then the third thing, which is what really listening is, is probing for details about what they did, their behaviors, and what happened, the results. Yeah, okay. Now, look, folks, there are only two ways to think about the team that you currently have, right? You focus on the folks you have, and you work hard so they don't turn over, and then 
you scramble when they inevitably do. That's one way. That's right, one way. Right? That's okay. one way. The better way I might suggest would be you accept that even the best manager has inevitable turnover and you plan for it in advance. It's going to happen and you, you be ready. Yeah. Look, typical searches when managers start going out and searching for people because they have an opening are not planned for. And frankly, because they're fairly rare and we're all a little panicked when we have to do it, they suffered a horseman's, suffer horseman's Christmas rule. If you don't know what that is, that's um, things you, that you really enjoy, but that you do rarely or things that are important to you that you do rarely you're going to be not that good at it, and it's going to tire you out. That's how most people feel around the Christmas holidays. So what happens is you don't get better at them, right? You're so focused on filling the need, you're not really thinking about this as one item in a process of you becoming better as a recruiter and interviewer and hirer. And you end up having to outsource some of it to HR and recruiters, and those people change. And the needs change and so on. And so people feel like there are too many moving parts. And this leads to a lack of improvement over time with each of your future steps becoming more important as you get higher in the organization. And it's a lack of improvement about the most important thing you do as a manager, which is hiring. You put all that together, that is bad mojo. It just is. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to say that. I saw 30 minutes of Austin Powers the other day. So look, the only solution to scrambling around once an opening happens is to have a bench, to be prepared, to have somebody ready or close to being ready to fill that opening. But is, but is having just having the bench enough, though? Well, yeah, that's the inevitable problem. I mean, knowing that I've got five friends out there who might be good is great. But if you have a bench and you don't know most of the details about those people other than you think they're good, and you've gleaned a little bit more about your bench than you have from the average person. But if you don't know enough that would likely get them through your hiring process, then basically you have to start all over with the hiring process without knowing whether they're right for you or not, right? I mean, we're not saying you can't have a bench if you don't interview them subtly the way we're recommending them. We want you to have a bench. And it does give you a little bit of a head start. I think what it does, though, in some cases, if you're not careful, is the manager with a bench who hasn't really done what we're suggesting in this cast and in future ones about really developing and being clear about, about your bench's strengths and weaknesses and so on, is it makes you want to hire somebody from your bench and if you've thought about it, it makes you think, I don't need to interview them, which is a very bad idea. Because look, we're not saying that if you truly know somebody well, you're not going to interview them the way you would anybody else, you know, after you have the opening. But interviewing somebody you're already reasonably certain about isn't the same thing as taking them through the process without knowing Someone whom you've already vetted to your satisfaction needs to go through the process for their benefit, and here's what's so important that people miss, as well as for the optics of your team. You can't just tell your friend you're hired. It just doesn't work that way. One of the things we talk about is raise the bar high. If you hire somebody, everyone must believe you, the candidate you're hiring, and everybody who he or she's going to work with must believe that they met the standards for the team. If you just have a colleague that you've 
quote, already interviewed, unquote. Now, even people who admire and respect you, people are going to believe that you hired one of your friends. And by definition, people assume the boss's friends don't meet the standard of the people that you've already hired mm-hmm. if you hired them the normal way or if you inherited your team. This affects morale, okay? Um, if you already have a relationship and you had to build the relationship with the people who were already on your team, if you already have a relationship with this new person, people are going to perceive that you're shortchanging one-on-ones and feedback, for instance. So... You've got to take them through the full interview process, but if you've done your advanced work, you'll know that they'll be able to make it. And then once they go through it, people will go, wow, they're great, right? Yeah. And so what you end up doing is you say to yourself, are they ready, right? And the only way to know that is to get to know them deeply without interviewing them. I, I assume, I mean, maybe there are some of you out there who can take your friends and interview them and say, you know, I want you to know I'm thinking about promoting you to my bench. So I need to take you through a couple of hours of interviewing. I don't, I mean, it doesn't sound never really that great. Yeah. I mean, somebody, somebody might be able to get away with it. Now, look, a lot of times you can get to know somebody deeply by understanding the strength of their successes and of your sense of their character and of their interpersonal skills. But the fact is, we can't count on that. We have to be prepared. So, look, the logic here is pretty inescapable. We either tell someone they're on their bench, they're on our bench, and again, we have to interview them, or we learn how to glean what we want to know in the course of normal conversations. And we recommend the latter, obviously. And so, overall, what we're saying here is, in every conversation, be thinking, what does that mean? What does that say about him or her? If they're really good, they're worth the extra effort. If you find yourself losing interest in somebody, maybe they don't belong on your bench. Yeah, probably. And the likelihood of that happening increases with the amount of information you have. Yeah, exactly. And wouldn't you want to know that before interviewing them later on or making the mistake of hiring them simply because you think you know they're going to be good on your team? That would be bad. Yeah, there's nothing about our bench that suggests that you can hire them without without taking them through the process. There you go. Okay, so let's talk a little bit more about that, about having those conversations. How do you have those conversations and not appear as if you're interviewing them? We don't want to appear as if we're interviewing them, that's for sure. So so how do we have those right. conversations and gather that information that allows us to get that, to that point? Yeah, that's, that's, that's our point about asking about work and really listening. The best and really the easiest way to make a conversation with somebody on your bench that's effective for your evaluation is to ask questions about their work and then really listen. And I suppose you could ask other people on your team to go meet that person and talk to them, but I found that that is just unmanageable. And so over and over again in my life, uh, and I've seen other executives come back to this process, is if you think to yourself, you know, this person's good, immediately afterwards you say to yourself, every time I talk to this person, I got to dig a little deeper. I got to ask a few more questions. It's not just a casual conversation. So we ask questions. And when I have this conversation with people, and I've had it three times in the last month. And so I said, you know what? I'm tired of it. (laughs) You know, I'll actually write them down. We'll make a cast. And then much like, you know, what do you do when one of your directs has body odor? I can direct people to this cast. Here are the kind of questions that I've recommended executives ask when I talk to them about building their bench because they're in a fast-growing industry. By the way, if, if you're in a fast-growing industry, 
you simply can't survive without a binge. Uh, the number of times people say, well, it's a fast growing industry, Mark. All openings take six months. I'm like, I mean, you literally have to be not knowledgeable to say something like that. Because I know people in fast growing industries that as soon as, as soon as they have an opening, they fill it. I remember John Hoffman, my good friend out at Applied Materials years ago, saying, yeah, I got a guy for that. I mean, this guy's going to leave, but I got a guy for that. And you couldn't hire somebody quickly in Silicon Valley in the 90s, in the late 90s, but John could. So here are some questions. Now, you're going to think, guys, that they're pretty simplistic, and they are, right? But it's kind of the follow-ups that matter in terms of really listening, because really listening means probing. That's the whole point of, of this cast. But here are the questions. What's going on at work? What are you guys working on over there? What's the big initiative right now? By the way, if you ask that of somebody in your firm, somebody who's a level down, and they say the big initiative is X, when you know that big initiative is Y, that's a negative. <laughs> yeah. Right? How are your metrics? Right? In other words, for the big initiative, what are your metrics for it? How are things in the field? Now, this could be somebody in your firm that works in a different department. It could be, you know, maybe a finance person, or it could be somebody in a different industry or a different company. You know, what's going on in your industry? What are customers saying? I'm amazed at the number of people who don't realize that closer to customer is always better. And some people think that being away from customers is better because they're more insulated. Unfortunately, they're more at risk in downturns. What's your sense of the economy? Probably not with young people, but I think after somebody's been in professional life for five years, they ought to have some sense of how their firm is connected to the economy. What's the status of your big project? And I promise you what they're going to say is it's good. It's fine. Everything's okay. But of course, this is just an opening gambit to get them to the second part. And by the way, these questions take the place of what are you doing this weekend? Now, I'm not saying you can't ask. What are you doing this weekend? Or, you know, how's your husband or how's your wife or how are the kids? That's all good. But these questions change the subject to the things you really want to know about. Okay. How did your big meeting go? Did you guys get what you wanted from the board or from the VP or from the director? What are the after effects of the merger for you? Is it going okay? You know, there's some people who say, I don't know. I don't hear anything. I just do what my boss says. Okay. That's probably not an A-plus player. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> it could be they're still wonderful. You know, if they're 22, they may not be in a place where they could know. If they're 35 and they don't know anything, worrisome, right? Unstrategic. Okay. How are your directs developing if they're a manager? How's your new role? What's your boss been talking about lately? Is your new boss treating you okay? How's the relationship with your boss? How's the relationship with that one guy you've been having problems with who works for you? How did your big presentation go? All of them pretty straightforward kind of anodyne questions, right? I mean, nothing terribly fancy. I, I can't imagine anybody hearing those questions would think you're interviewing them. You're just a friend having a conversation asking how work's going. Yeah, it's normal conversation. And you're not suggesting that you rattle off all 20 questions in a single conversation, right? No, questions, come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think if you're having a conversation about your families or about your vacation or about your weekend, you change the subject at some point that's convenient, that's polite, 
to these kinds of questions. And then you'd be ready to listen. Don't make these questions one-offs that are a bunch of high-level, let's skip over the seven major topics of our life, work and spouse and kids and community and spiritual and food and physical health and sports and international geopolitics or whatever. I'm making all <laughs> those up. Let's not skip lily pad to lily pad and not dig in about the topic that's most interesting to us relative to their position on our bench. So this is just normal conversation. In fact, we've said before that the real test, the real trick to have being a great conversationalist is asking questions, right? That's what you do. Yeah, totally normal. Okay. Now, it's not simply enough to ask the questions, right? You have to probe about details, about behaviors and results, right? Yeah. Just, it's just not yeah. a matter of, of asking the question and blindly going on. Yeah, this is why I've had a couple people tell me in the last couple of years, you're really interested in me, aren't you? And I say, yeah, I find everybody else's stuff very interesting. Now, part of that is my role, right? I get to learn about all different industries and so on, but it's way better to be interested than interesting. Mm -hmm. And I'm enough of a high eye to know that I have to be careful because I'll want to talk about what we're doing. I think it's cool, not just because I'm doing it, but because it makes me happy to do it. So if it makes me happy to do it, it must be cool after a fashion. It may only be cool to me, but I have to be careful. And people don't like talking to somebody who only wants to talk about themselves. We'll have a future cast about how to, if you'll pardon the expression, bat away a question about yourself to keep the topic on the person who's in your bench. It's just conversation. And often my the way I start those answers is, wait, 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 hold on. Before we change, I want to go back. I got to ask something about what you were just saying. Right? People, nobody minds that. Nobody minds that at all. Now, if they deflect your questions twice, they're saying, I don't want to talk about that anymore. But anyway, you know, what really sets apart effective managers in these kinds of conversations, and by the way, you don't have to do this just with your bench. You can do it with anybody, develop your skills in this area. What sets apart is what they do next, and what they do next is really listen. You know, what does your young Padawan say? <laughs> you know, what does this young mentor, young protege, what does this young person, or perhaps a peer of yours who's on your bench, what do they say? How do they say it? What's important to them? Why? Do they analyze it the way you do? Do you sense that their reading of the situation that you've asked them about is sound or, you know, wise beyond their years or simplistic? All of those things. The real issue here, though, is what most of us don't know, even though we often behave as if we do, is the way to be a great listener is to follow up with more questions. Now, look, we promise you, folks, we promise you this. You know, you ask a question and then you start asking more questions. You start probing. Everybody's like, oh, gosh, I don't want to interview them. Well, that's the whole point of this. We don't want you to interview them. We promise it won't feel like an interview if you don't try to make it feel like an interview. Most of us unintentionally behave a certain way when we're interviewing people. We're a little more formal. We position things certain ways. We interrupt with prepared lines because we think we're interviewing somebody. And in fact, I think that's one of the things that happens to somebody who's interviewed a lot is 
they get better, in fact, because they think of themselves as being good interviewing rather than saying, I'm doing an interview and therefore I have to step into this role and I have to use the words and the language in the same way that if I were at a baseball game, I'd use different language than if it was a football game. Well, that's not what great, you know, great managers know, great interviewers know. It should be relaxed. It should be casual. We usually don't use prepared lines and are not too formal when we're conversing, right? We say things in interviews like, tell me more about that decision. Why did you decide on benchmarking rather than internal process controls? When you hear that, you know that's interviewing language. If we try to say that conversationally, we say, hey, how come you chose internal process controls? No interest in benchmarking? Yeah, that sounds a little bit more conversational than the first, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And how are you going to get better at this? By doing it over and over again. Suppose you wanted to know about their role, a specific role in a project. They've mentioned it before, but you're not sure of the details of their involvement. In an interview, you might ask, tell me about the role you played. Whom did you report to? And what responsibilities did you have? Well, (laughs) conversationally, that's a lead balloon, right? But it's okay to ask it like this. What are you doing in this big thing? What are they having you do? And by the way, these work in interviewing too. You don't have to be formal and precise Mm. when you're actually interviewing somebody. Um, Here are the questions that I've shared with people over the years that cause a continuation of a discussion in a topic of interest to you that will allow you to keep listening to their answer, glean more information, and potentially ask a third, a fourth, and a fifth question. What are your plans? What's next? By the way, almost all of these, not all of them, and don't write me and tell me I'm a bad person for saying this, could be prefaced by, okay, cool, or neat, or, oh, okay, all of them. So, for instance, okay, cool, how are you going to handle that? What's your key goal here? Who's on your side? Is your team okay with that? Who's not on your side? Boss agree with your approach? Or is he being a jerk? If you knew he was been a jerk before, what's the risk? I love that one. If I had to pick one thing that's fairly linear among medium to top performers is over the course of their professional career, their growing understanding of risk. Hmm. Okay. True. What deadlines are going to be a problem for you? You going to meet them? How did it all turn out? Okay, cool. What'd they say? Well done. What were the results that got, t- got talked about? Was your boss pleased? Did he say anything? How did your team do overall? Anybody on your team that stood out? Well, cool. I'm glad to hear it. What did you learn? And look, there's a thousand more of these. Okay. My point is, is that hopefully when you hear those, you start saying, oh, I ask these questions all the time. Yes, you do. We keep them casual. And now we're simply listening about, is this going to help this guy in a future interview with me and my directs if I hire him? And what you do is as you're asking these questions, you're listening for two key factors. What did they do? Behavior. And how things turned out. 
Over and over and over again, that's what Manager Tools has talked about. Behaviors and results. What you want, somebody on your team, is somebody who's engaging in the right behaviors and who achieves the right results. There are people who engage in the right behaviors and don't achieve good results. It happens. And there are people who get great results and don't engage in the right behaviors. What you want is both. And if you do this once a week, two or three or four questions probing every time, at the end of the year, you'll have had 50 conversations with people. If you only have five people on your, on your bench, that's uh, 10 conversations within it, with each of them. And some of this will cause you to drop somebody from your bench. And then you could talk about beer and Friday night with that person. That's okay. Yeah, you don't have to stop being their friend. They're just not on your bench anymore. Yeah, they're just not on your bench. Yeah. Yes, there are people who are listening who used to be on my bench and are not. And there are people who are listening who are on my bench. That's a good thing. That's it. It's not rocket science. It's all about deciding you're going to listen and being willing to probe and being casual about it and recognizing that you must develop your knowledge of your bench in advance so that you can be certain or nearly certain that they're going to be okay. And that, therefore, you won't have to wait 90 to 180 days to fill an opening Mm. because things are hot and that's when you want to have a full team. So never have a totally casual conversation with your bench. Ask about work. Really listen. Do it casually. The key is probing for details about behaviors and results. I got to tell you guys, this is how really highly effective executives do it. People feel like when they talk to executives, they're always being questioned. Yeah, you are. (laughs) Um, Those people, they're ready for openings because they've already been evaluating professionals whom they know. They probe in normal conversation to understand the skills and strengths and weaknesses of their associates. The associate doesn't feel like they've been probed, but they have been. And they're always assessing future potential by considering what you're doing now and how successful you've been currently. That's how to do it. There you go. Thanks, my friend. That's useful. You bet, partner. We'll see you. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long.